Holy Spirit, lead me. Lead each of us here. Bring us into your presence. Help us to trust you with everything in our life. Help us to surrender it all to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This morning, I'm going to start out a little bit differently. We're going to take a literary test. I'm going to see how many of you used those library cards as a kid, and how many of you didn't use that library card as a kid. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the opening line of a famous book. And I want to see whether you can guess what the book was from the opening line. Now, if you're here in the audience, you can just yell it out and make everyone around you think how smart you are, unless you're wrong, of course, and then they'll think how not so smart you are. For those of you watching online, type, the, type it into the comments. And again, let those who know how smart you are, or the opposite. So are you guys ready? Here we go. I'm going to start out with just a couple children's stories, so it should be easy to start. Where's Papa going with the axe, said Fern to her mother as they were sitting at the, at the breakfast table. Oh, no one. Charlotte's Web. I think you all need to go back to the library. Okay, maybe, maybe an easier one to start out with. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Harry Potter, correct. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Here's another one that everyone should get. When Mr. Bilbo Baggins of Bag End announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with a, with a party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Lord of the Rings. Um, okay, let's... You guys weren't doing all that great, but I'm going to make it a little bit harder. See, those were the easy ones. I'm going to make it a little bit harder. Try this one. When he was nearly 13, my brother Jim got his arm badly broken at the elbow. To kill a mockingbird. All right, here's another one. Man, you guys need to go back to the library or audible or do something here's another one if you really want to hear about it the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap but I don't feel like going into it if you want to know the truth catcher in the rye all right good job Julian so here's one you may recognize the line, but maybe not the book. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Here's one specifically for the ladies. It's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and Prejudice. Don't worry, I have one for the guys, too. This is the, you may not, let's be honest, guys, we don't read all that many books. So you may not have read the book, but you probably have seen the movie. 
Amerigo Bonacera sat in New York criminal court number three and waited for justice vengeance on the man who had so cruelly hurt his daughter who had tried to dishonor her come on guys the godfather all right so what i've learned is we all need to read a little bit more apparently Um, but what about this one in the beginning was the word the opening line of the gospel of john Out of the 66 books in the Bible, only the opening line of Genesis, that famous, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, is really more well-known than in the beginning was the Word. And one of the reasons why it stands out is because it's so different than the opening line of the other three accounts on the life of Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Here's how the book of Matthew starts out. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Kind of boring. Just, then it goes on to just list the genealogy. Here's how the book of Mark starts out. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Straight to the point. Nothing exciting, just telling you what's going to happen. And then the book of Luke puts it this way. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account. Again, from Dr. Luke, a very matter-of-fact, directly-to-the-point beginning. But then there's John. And John starts out, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you immediately start to think, say what? I mean, but actually if you look at it, when you dive into it, it's not confusing. It's actually very direct and to the point. As you know, last week we started this series on the Gospel of John called The Untold Story, where we're going to walk through the life of Jesus as recorded by John. And it's an account unlike any of the others. Remember we said last week, John lived longer than any of the other disciples. And 90% of what you find in his Gospel isn't found anywhere else in the Bible. It really is the untold story being told. And we're going to look at 11 unique teachings, accounts, experiences that only John tells us about. And it starts right here at the very beginning of his gospel. So let's unpack those opening lines, starting with who or what is the word. Again, it starts, in the beginning was the word. So who or what is that? In the beginning, which mirrors those opening lines from the book of Genesis, tells us that before time began, before the universe was ever created, 
before the sun and the moon and the stars were birthed into existence, there was the Word. So, what is the Word? Well, the Word, we're not talking about the words that come out of our mouth. In fact, I think John here is trying to tip his hat to Greek thinking, Greek culture, Greek philosophy, because he uses the word logos. See, for the Greeks, the idea of word logos was not simply what you said out of your mouth, but it was an idea that represented the mind or reason. See, the Greeks felt that the, that originating force, that power of the universe, was logos, the word. It was the word for them that governed anything, governed everything. But for the Jews, the word had a name, and it was God. So when they spoke of the word, it was in reference to God. So John here in the very beginning in a way is trying to reach out to every culture, whether it's Greek, whether it's Jew, trying to reach out to every listener, every worldview that would hear it. So that explains what the word is, or better yet, who the word is. But let's take another look. It says, and the word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So who is that Word? The Word is God. And John begins by saying, yes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. But the word isn't just some energy field or the force from Star Wars. It's not just our minds or our reason. The word is God himself. But that's not all that John says. He says that the word is not only God, but was with God. See, the word was different from God the Father. So what is John introducing us to here? Right at the very beginning, he's introducing us to God the Son, Jesus. See, one of the most amazing teachings in the entire Bible about God is the idea that God is a triune God, the idea of the Trinity. And I wish I could give you a 30-second definition of the Trinity that would clear it all up, but I'm convinced I probably won't under fully understand the Trinity until I get to heaven. But what John is introducing is the second part of that trinity, God the Son, Jesus. And one of the most amazing things is that there's three persons who are one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but three persons who are one God. So John begins with the idea of the Word. And that the Word was not only God, but that He was with God. So He's introducing us in a way that the other books don't to God the Son. And then, then what does John tell us that the Word, God the Son, did? He said, The Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. Two headlines here. First, the word became flesh. We call it the incarnation. God became man. Or as John phrased it, he became flesh. And it's an interesting word choice that John uses. He could have used the Greek term for human being, but he didn't. He could have used the Greek word for body, but he didn't. Instead, he used the term sarx, which means flesh. It's, it's almost a crude term in the Greek language. Here's how C.S. Lewis actually described it. He said, what God did was this. The second person in God, the Son, became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man. A real man of particular height with hair of a particular color, speaking a particular language, weighing a particular amount. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that, a baby. And before that, a fetus in a woman's body. But that's only the first headline. Look at it again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So not only did the word become flesh, but he made his dwelling among us. And the word dwelling literally means the same word as tabernacle or tent. He tabernacled with us. He went camping in a tent with us. Let me give you a little background on, on the usage of that word and the impact, the, the, how it is so impactful. You see, back when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt and toward the promised land, God told them to set up a tent, a tabernacle, which God would then fill with his presence. Let's read about it in the book of Exodus. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during their travels. See, God was leading the way. So when he comes to tabernacle, to tent among us, he's doing it to lead the way. So what does John say about Jesus? The word became flesh. He tented among us, this time as one of us. Now, he could have entered the world and made himself known in any way with grand majesty. But if you want to connect with a horse, you would become a horse. But he wanted to connect with us 
human beings. So he became one of us because he knows what we go through. He's like each and every one of us and it's how he can be known. And as a result, God became a human being in the person of Jesus, which means that he knows each and every one of us. He knows what we're going through. Do you believe that this morning? Do you think that God is able to know what you're going through, what you're feeling, what it means to live the life that you are living? Or do you somehow think that he's, he's removed, he's distant, he's aloof, he's clueless about what it means to be a human? You see, if you're feeling lonely today, if you're feeling afraid or abandoned or rejected or hurt, Jesus felt each and every one of those emotions while he was here on the earth. So now you know why he came and lived among us. The word became flesh and lived among us. He understands our life. He understands our world, our feelings, and our pain. See, we have a God who came to earth. We have a God who's able to sympathize with us. By entering into human existence and into this experience that we call life, we have a God who has a tender heart towards all that's going on in each of our lives. But why? Why did God the Son come to earth? Well, John tells us. He says, in him was life. And that life was light, was the light of men. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, Jesus came so that we would believe in his name. He came so that we could receive him into our lives. And he came so that we could become the full children that he longs for us become. See, Lee Strobel tells a story about how in Korea, right after the Korean War, a Korean woman had an affair with an American soldier and got pregnant. And he went back to the States, and she never saw him again. She gave birth to a little girl that looked different from all of the other Korean children. She had light, curly hair. You see, in that culture, Children of mixed races were ostracized. They were made outcasts in society. In fact, many women would kill their children because they didn't want them to face the depth of rejection. They knew that the community would bring down upon them. But this woman didn't do that. She tried to raise her little girl as best she could, and she did so for seven years. But then the rejection became too much. And so she abandoned her little girl to the streets. 
The little girl was ruthlessly taunted by the people. They called her all kinds of ugly terms. And it didn't take long for that little girl to begin thinking about herself the way that she had been taunted. For two years, she lived out on the streets until finally she made her way to an orphanage. And one day, word came that a couple from America were coming and they were going to adopt a little boy. All the children in the orphanage got excited because at least one little boy would find a home. At least one of them would have a family. The little girl spent all day cleaning up all the little boys, combing their hair, giving them baths so that they would look their best for the American couple. And the next day that couple arrived and the girl recalled, she said, it was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw the man with his huge hand lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face and I knew that if he could, he would take them all home with him. And he saw me out of the corner of his eye. Listen to the description of herself. I was nine years old. I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny little thing. I had worms in my belly. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me and he began rattling away something in English and I looked up at him. Then he took his huge hand and he laid it on my face. What was he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This is a child for me. As a man reached out to her, she said later that that his hand on my face felt so good. And inside I said, oh, keep that up. Don't let your hand go. But nobody had ever shown her this kind of affection before. So she didn't know how to respond. So she yanked his hand away, looked up at him, spit on him, and she turned and ran the other way. Can you imagine that? Here's her one and only hope, a hand reaching out to her. Love, a father, a home. She spits in his face and runs away. Well, the next day, this couple returned to the orphanage. They understood the suffering that she had gone through, the trauma she had experienced. And despite her initial rejection, they went back to that little girl, the little girl with lice in her hair and boils all over her body, because though she couldn't fathom it, even though she yearned for it, she was loved. And they said, we've got to have this child. This is the one we want to adopt. And they did. 
They named her Stephanie. They took care of her for the rest of her life. They gave her the medical attention she needed. They loved her like she was their own. And she grew up and became a follower of Christ. She got married and had kids of her own. She came to Christ because she saw in that story of her childhood the story of Jesus. Something of what she had experienced. So no matter whether you've spit in Jesus' face, whether you've slapped him and run the other way, Jesus is always there, ready to pick you up, ready to adopt you into his family. See, John is hoping that no other story will ever claim our life. It may never read the same again, but he starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And to all who receive it will have the right to become children of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for that message. Thank you that no matter what we do, whether we spit in your face and run away, you keep coming back. Thank you, Jesus. And we know as we're about to sing that your love won't give up on me. And you won't let me go. In Jesus' name.